thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning, and we are so delighted to be able to just gather together to give God the praise and the glory that he so richly deserves. There is none like our God, and we are just so delighted to be able to come into his presence. And also, I want to say a special welcome and thank you for worshiping with us, those who are worshiping with us via live stream. We're glad to have you this morning at Impact Church of Worshiping, and so we hope that this will be an impactful and encouraging and equipping and edifying experience for you. And we just thank God just for the opportunity. As a matter of fact, let's just give God a hand clap of praise for being a good God, for being so gracious, so compassionate, so kind, none like our God, and he is so worthy to be praised. Uh, we are continuing our series this morning in John chapter 8. We are looking at who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I'm going to be in John chapter 8. And I know you have your Bibles. I want you to turn there with me. And while you're turning, uh, as always, we ask that you text, tweet, or post something from the service. Share with someone. Say, hi, I was worshiping with Impact Church of the Willis, either at our website, uh, myimpactchurch.org, or you can say, you know, I was physically here like we have people in our sanctuary at 541 Shadow Band Place. We want you to share a verse, a quote, a fact, something from the text, from the service, a text that says, hey, I am in the Word of God, and I am trying to impact you with the Word of God as well. So we would love for you to do that. Um, I'll have a couple of announcements I want to bring to your attention really quickly. I want to congratulate uh, and thank, better yet, uh, Joy Davis and Mykeisha Curl. Uh, their work with the uh, Chosen Girls, and they gave out gift bags. And I want to say thank you so much for uh, volunteering and serving there. And also, don't forget that on September the 6th, we will have a Christmas in September, and we will give out bags for our children. And so we want you to be a part of that. And also on September the 20th, we will have a drive-by health clinic at Impact Church, so we want you to be able to participate with that. You will see the information being disseminated. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, go to our website. All of the information is there. Also, if you have sign up for our weekly uh, news alerts, you will receive information there as well. But we want to make certain that you remain connected and you know what is going on so you can continue to use your gifts uh, during the COVID season. Uh, we know that even though we have COVID, we are still required to use the gifts that God has blessed us with. Amen. And we want to continue to make disciples of Jesus Christ impact the world for time and eternity, which is our mission. John chapter eight is our text for today. Uh, and we want to read that. I'm going to read 12 verses and I'm going to let everybody stand. I see a few people still turning again to John 8 of the Gospel of John. I want to say this. Don't forget Impact. We are still praying for the entire body of believers for Impact Church. We know we had several people who lost loved ones. Willie Mays, who was here first service, lost a nephew. Wayne Gordon, who's still here. Uh, memorial service yesterday for his brother. Also, uh, Collis Payne lost his mom. I will attend that eulogy. Also, Rosalind Brown, I attend that eulogy too this past week. And Felita, we know, lost her sister. We want to pray for her and Greg. So let's keep praying for one another. Remember, we are what the body of Christ. We are a body of believers. And we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We are there for one another. It's imperative, especially in times like this that we are there with one another. But let me tell you something. Death is not the final word for the believer, amen? So we still celebrate, we give God praise, we give him glory, we magnify his holy name because he is still worthy to be praised even though we may go through adversity every now and then. John chapter eight is our text. I wanna read 12 verses out of John eight. 
and then we're going to dive off into this text. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older one. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You may be seated. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are the light of the world. We magnify your name. We give you praise. We give you glory that you so richly deserve. And Lord, we thank you that you have been the light that has lightened us. Lord, today as we look into your word, we want you to illuminate, to light into our lives, to reveal yourself in a special way. And Lord God, for whatever you do, we'll be certain to give you praise, to certain to give you the honor that you so richly deserve. We thank you, we love you, and we ask all the mighty majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. <clears throat> Lighthouses date back to the time of the Egyptians who used large pots with wood and fire in them on their shores to illuminate the night for sea travelers. People who were traveling on the sea couldn't see, and so they came up with this ingenious idea of large pots with wood, and they would burn at night so that when the ships would arrive, they would be able to see. The structures were great for serving as navigational aids for ship captains and sailors and boat operators. And as a result of commerce and just general travel, lighthouses became an essential fixture in society and especially in the areas of navigation. Over a period of time, lighthouses began to change and there were essential elements that became noticeable for lighthouses. There are four things that you will see that are very important when you're talking about constructing and having a lighthouse. The first thing is the lighthouse needs to be luminous and bright enough. That is, the light has to shine at a certain level so that the light can expose the things that are in the water. Maybe there are rocks. Maybe there is some type of wreckage. And so the light from the lighthouse has to be bright enough to shine so that everyone who is on that boat can see to avoid any type of danger. 
but also the light has to be bright enough to reveal. It has to give them the ability to see where the terrain is, where the land is, how shallow the water potentially may be. All those significant features they might need to see. The light has to shine bright enough as the vessel is approaching to be able to see what is there along the edge of the land. But then number three, the light serve as a guide. No matter from what direction they're approaching, that light is there to let them know that this is the path, the way they should go. Second thing about the lighthouse is its location. You just can't put the lighthouse anywhere. It has to be strategically located so when ships are coming from various angles, they will know that that lighthouse is there close to the edge and they know they are approaching land and there are certain preparations the ship can make to avoid destruction. And then third, the lighthouse has to have the right length or the right height. It needs to be up at least X number of feet off the ground so that the ships can see the bright shining light miles before they arrive to it. It signals this is the right path. This is where you should go. The light has to be up there shining. But the fourth thing to me is also very, very key and very important. The lighthouse needs a diligent and faithful light operator. You need somebody there who can keep the light burning, who's putting the wood as the Egyptian did so the light would burn. And then before the technological advances were there, someone who could turn the light so that those vessels would see the light shining. You needed an operator of the lighthouse who would do all of those things to ensure what the safety of the vessels that are approaching the land. As I thought about that lighthouse, as I thought about the features of the lighthouse, it made me think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus tells us in John 8 and also in John 9, he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world and Jesus shines bright enough into all of our experiences. Jesus is transcendent enough to be over everything that we experience so all can see. But Jesus is a lighthouse operator that never sleeps nor slumber. And there is never a time we have to worry, does Jesus have the light on? Let me tell you something. He keeps the light on. He is always there to shine his glorious light into our experience. It doesn't matter what time it is. He is there shining the light because he is the light. John chapter 8 is a great text and I want you to see it. Because in John chapter 8, we're going to see our first person. But also, we're going to see another person in John 9. Two people in our text today. First of all, we're going to see in John 8, a woman caught in adultery. And then in John 9, we're going to see a man born blind. Both individuals are going to receive the light of Christ, and it's going to shine in their experiences very different. In John 8, we see... Here is Jesus, and Jesus is here. He's pretty much minding his own business. 
But as he is there, people are coming to him. Jesus is doing what he always do. He's teaching. And the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman caught in adultery. They bring this woman to Jesus. The first point here I want you to see is this, is that Jesus is an external light. I want you to see that because what happens is, is that Jesus is going to reveal by the very nature of his light that emanates from him the true heart and mind of the scribes and Pharisees. He's going to reveal and expose their true deeds because he's the light. I want you to see it. He's there teaching the people and they bring a woman and look at the text. It says caught in the act of adultery. She's guilty, no doubt about it. And then they bring her and they sit her in the center of the court where Jesus is teaching the people. Here's the problem. When you learn to read early on, your teachers taught you when you read, look for context clues. Anybody know what I'm talking about? As you read this text, there are some context clues here in this text. If you look in the law of Moses, when adultery occurred, there were usually two people. But you see the scribes and the Pharisees bring in one person. And so the context cues me in that the motives of the scribes and Pharisees are improper because if they had the right motives, if they really wanted to expose sin, they would have brought the man along with the woman. So what it tells me is, is that they're not concerned about exposing sin. They are concerned about exposing Jesus Christ or getting an opportunity to accuse him. It says that in verse six down here, let's just notice. They're not concerned about sin. They are concerned about trying to get Jesus. And see, what happens is Jesus is going to expose them. Point A says light exposes the self-righteous and false judgments of humankind. And this is a false judgment. They're not serious about trying to deal with sin. They have improper motives. And so as a result, Jesus is going to shine his light on them and expose them. And that's exactly what happens. But there's something else that happened in this text here I want you to see too. Point B is this. Light reveals sin and shine mercy on the contrite and humble. Jesus is going to grant grace and mercy to this woman who knows she's a sinner. But God is going to extend to her grace and mercy. Watch this, watch this. The lady has been caught in the very act. You got to see this now. So that lets me know that she probably was not fully robed. You with me? Stay with me. She probably was dragged there because these self-righteous, false judging scribes and Pharisees were not concerned about covering or caring for her, they just wanted an occasion to convict Jesus. And so they drag her there, 
probably scarred from the dragging and rushing. And here they do, they throw her in the center for everybody to gaze upon, partially robed. And I'm certain she's fearful for her life. She's humiliated by what has happened. She is shamed and she is guilty. Can you imagine being in that situation? So you got to see this story for what it's really worth. This lady is going through the ultimate act of humiliation. Everybody in the town, everybody in the community, everybody in the city, everybody in her family will know and hear about this. And now she is right there before the light of the world. She is before Jesus Christ, the epitome, the quintessential of righteousness. And here she is humiliated and shamed. The scribes and Pharisees throw her down. And they're saying she deserves to be stoned. Can you imagine being in that situation? Can you imagine having to, such, to, to suffer such humiliation? Feeling so undignified, so unworthy. And look what Jesus does in this situation. Oh, look at the text. Here it is. Jesus stoops down and begins to write on the ground. Notice this now. All of this is going on and he begins to write on the right, stoops down. See, posture is very important. And when he stoops down, it is a sign of his indifference with what is going on. And he writes. Never tells us what he wrote, but he writes on the ground. Verse 7, let us know they weren't happy with it. They keep pressing him. Jesus, what are you going to do? What do you say? What do you say? The Bible says he straightened up, verse 7. He assumes a different posture because now I'm convinced when he stands up, he is ready to allow his light to shine on the situation. He is exposing them and he's going to reveal her sin, but he's going to shine mercy into her circumstances. Anybody ever had the Lord to shine a little mercy into their circumstance? As you're, watching my, as you're watching my live stream, have you ever had the Lord to just give you mercy at the moment where you were fearful, shamed, humiliated, confused, discombobulated, didn't know which way to go, but God in his mercy shined his light of grace and compassion into your circumstance? Have you ever had the Lord to give you mercy? the mercy and grace that you needed at a moment in time. I'm going to tell you, if you're a believer, you've had it, you've experienced it, and you ought to thank him for the mercy that he shines into our experience as a result of him being the light of the world. Oh, he does it for this. Lady. Look, the very question that Jesus asked in verse 7 demonstrates his mercy. Look, look. He says, he who is without sin among you let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Ooh. Okay. She's guilty of sin. They are condemning her of sin. And Jesus turns it on them and says, if you don't have sin, it makes you worthy to condemn her of sin. 
one sentence, he silenced the entire crowd because they thought they had checkmate on him. And he turns the scenario around. Man, it demonstrates the light has the ability to shine in circumstances that seem a foregone conclusion. See, some of you are sitting here, some of you watching the live stream, listen, stay with me, stay with me. And you are looking at a situation where you feel the decision has already been made. It's over. But as long as the light is transcended, as long as the light is shining bright, as long as the light is on the throne, there is an opportunity for God to shine mercy into your situation and circumstances. Anybody believe that this morning? If you believe that, just wave your hand at the Lord. Give him praise if you believe that. Here it is. He stands up, shines his light, and he stoops back down. Why did he stoop back down? Because he knew it was over. That had settled it. Because the Bible says in verse 9, when they heard it, they began to walk away from the oldest to the youngest. Why did they walk away in that order? Because the longer you live, the more you are acquainted with the sins that you have committed and the more time you have to commit more sins. And so we understand, oh, thank God for grace and mercy. Because we look back over our lives and we see those moments when we were dragged into the center, when we were shamed, when we were humiliated, when we were guilty, when we committed the offense, when we committed the crime, and all the times that we got away with things that we should have been accused of. God in his grace and his mercy, he extended it to this woman. Yeah, he did. And they were walking away because they knew they were guilty. Knew they were guilty. And they knew they, God had exposed their improper judgments. As believers, I want to pause and say this. We have to be careful about our judgment. About our false analysis of the situation. And sometimes we don't have all the facts. Because the light of Jesus Christ will reveal sometimes that our judgments, our motives have been wrong. But I like fact number one. Jesus is the light that exposed true intentions of the mind. And that's what happens here. He exposed the true intentions of the scribes and Pharisees and he showed that they were not sincere about this matter. And Jesus exposed it with his light. Verse 10 says he straightened up again. He comes back up and he's ready to shine his light again. This is the second time he straightens up. Every time he straightens up, he shines his light. He says, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. I guarantee you, I can, I can see her probably trying to cover. I bet tears streaming down her face. Probably cold and then she's still looking at other people who are gazing on. Because when events like this happen, you know, people get nosy, people stopping. Kind of like on 45 when an accident happened, looky lose, they're looking. And she is still shamed by it all. 
Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine? And she says, no one, Lord. She calls him Lord because she recognized only God could have delivered her from her death sentence. Y'all don't hear me this morning. She was on death row. And with one sentence, Jesus declared her day of deliverance. He pardoned her from all her iniquities. And let me tell you something. All of us in here today, we have been pardoned by the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Isn't that glorious? Do we have a glorious God who has done that for us? Jesus says, I do not condemn you to go and now on sin no more. And then Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, I'm here to shine, to give you life. He said, but you got to follow me by faith. This is so glorious. The woman is caught in sin and Jesus shines his light and releases her from her captors. In the second part of John chapter 9, we're going to see a man. He wasn't caught in sin, but he was born blind. Turn with me to John 9. In John 9, we have this man here. He is born without sight. Jesus is passing by and he saw the man. And it says the man had been that way from birth. But his disciples asked a question, verse 2, said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? See, you have to understand in the Jewish mindset, whenever something adverse happened, they immediately equated it with sin. My animal died, sin. House burned down, you sin. My child died, you sin. Everything was sin. Related. But Jesus corrects them just like the book of Job has to correct and inform us that sometimes instances happen where God would do things. He will allow you to lose a child. He will allow you to lose some investment. He will allow you to go through COVID. He will allow the country to have civil unrest. He will allow our country to have these contractions because he is trying to make certain that we give him the glory he deserves. So sometimes God let us go through adverse situations. He give us hardship so that our focus will be on the light that lighteth every man who comes into the world. What does he tell these disciples? He says, neither the man sinned nor his parents, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. God is using him. Somebody in here ought to know God is using you. You are in the lion's den. You're in the fiery furnace. You find yourself in the cistern. You find yourself hiding in a cave. You're in a drought being fed by the ravens. But let me tell you something. No matter where you are, God is using you. His light is shining in your experience. And as you're going through, look to the light. Listen and watch. Let the light expose. Let the light reveal and third, let the light guide you. 
That's what he wants to do, and that's what he's going to do with this man. He's going to guide. The light is there to expose, to reveal, and to guide. Oftentimes when we see the word expose, we think it in a negative context. Sometimes God is exposing something that is good. He's exposing your righteousness, your holiness. God is exposing your discipline and your commitment. He exposes it to others so you can be a blessing and can be blessed. All the times exposure is not bad. But that's what the light is here for. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, 9-5. See, he lets the blind man come in and then he declares, I'm the light of the world. After he tells these guys that the works might be done, he is ready to shine the light into this blind man's experience so that he might receive true glory. He declares after the woman in adultery is set free from her death sentence, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the light that does the things that no one else can do. And I hope you understand that's who Jesus Christ is. He is the light that can heal, that can deliver, that can set free. He illuminates, he magnifies. That's what it means about the light. See, the nation of Israel comprehended this very well. Why did they comprehend it? Because when he referenced the light, it goes back to their wilderness wanderings. You recall when they were in the wilderness, it was two things that they really needed very bad in the wilderness. One, they needed food, and that's why we began with Jesus being the bread, the manna. God rained down the manna to feed them while they were in the wilderness. But there was other thing they needed. They needed to be guided through the wilderness. And that's why he led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It symbolized the light that guides them and that light would shine continuously guiding them. And the same light that shined in the wilderness is the same light that's shining today. He is guiding you and me on our journey through the wilderness called earth. He's guiding us. So those moments where you feel like you're alone, let me tell you something. Jesus, I'm the light of the world. And the light guides the believer to spiritual knowledge and truth. And that's what's going to happen here with this blind man. I want you to see something in this text. And I don't want you to miss this. Stay with me. Don't miss this. Watch this. There are three people in this text who are blind. Three different groups. And it'd be easy to miss this. Watch. First of all, we have physical blindness with a man born blind. But I'm convinced also he has spiritual blindness as well. Second, the Pharisees who questions the miracle when he receives his sight, they are equally spiritually blind. In chapter 8, they question Jesus when he is there with the woman caught in adultery. They still didn't see the light. Now Jesus doing his internal revelation in John chapter 9, they still don't see the light when he gives sight to the physically blind. They are still spiritually blinded. See this? But then there's a third person or persons who are blind. The parents of the boy born blind are also spiritually blind. I want you to see this. Stay with me. Jesus is going to give sight to this man born blind. 
He spent on the ground, put clear his eye. He used to go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man is going to receive his sight. Once he receives his sight, the man is ecstatic, to say the least. Can you imagine? I mean, look at these two miracles. Because I'm convinced that the woman, when she is released from death, that was miraculous. Because she should have been stoned. But here is a man born blind. He said, you never heard this happening. He receives his sight. Both people have been liberated by the light of the world. And they asked him, how then were your eyes open? The man answered, who was called Jesus, put clay and anointed my eyes. He said, go wash in the pool. I went and washed away and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They bring him to the Pharisees. They said, this is a man formerly blind. And he was on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are so mad, they're not celebrating the fact that this man was once blind got sight. They're not celebrating the fact that a true miracle was done. They can't be happy for his liberation. They want to keep him in the bondage of blindness and they are angry that our act has been done on the Sabbath. They are spiritually blind and their hatred for the Lord has so blinded them further that they can't even see and celebrate. And that's why in John 3.19 he talks about that men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds, their deeds are evil. See, these guys were just evil at their core. It didn't matter what Jesus did. They hated him and they wanted to kill him. And in John 3, 19, it says that. Their deeds are evil. Men love darkness rather than light. Light is coming to the world. But they do not receive the light. Why? Because they still wanted to get after Jesus at any cost. And we have to be careful because let me tell you something. We don't want to be those individuals who love darkness rather than light. There's a little nursery rhyme I'm certain all of us has heard at some point and we read it to our kids. Three blind mice, the little rhyme, the little poem. Three blind mice. Three blind mice, see how they run, see how they run. They all ran after the farmer's wife who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a thing in your life as three blind mice? You listen to that little nursery rhyme, and I'm certain some of the kids in here probably heard it before. They can sing along with it, dance along with it. Maybe you can too. But do you know the origin of that little ditty? It comes from the English. As a matter of fact, it comes from the period when Henry VIII's daughter, Queen Mary I, was reigning. She had reigned for five years. And Queen Mary I received the name of Bloody Mary. She received that name because she killed over 300 hundred Protestants. Queen Mary was a staunch Catholic and she violently persecuted the Protestants. And I'm convinced she did it because she was spiritually blind. There were three noblemen who resisted her. And as a result, she didn't dismember them. She didn't gouge their eyes out. 
but she had them burned at the stake. She wanted them completely consumed so no one could take any portions of their bodies and use them as relic. She wanted them completely burned and their ashes thrown away where nobody could get them. She didn't want any remembrance of them. And that song was designed to remind people of what she did and it was their way of talking and communicating about what Bloody Mary did to those three men by burning them at the stake. That's what Three Blind Mice is really about. Because she was the farmer's wife. And they had the largest state and they were reminding one another of the wickedness and the evil that she had done. They said, have you ever seen such a sight burning people at the stake because of their beliefs? The Pharisees would have burned Jesus at the stake. They would have killed him at any cost because of their hatred for it. Because men love darkness rather than light. That's why Jesus was telling them, I'm the light of the world. I'm here shining to set free, to liberate so that you don't have to walk in darkness. But the Pharisees were spiritually blind. And that's why they call this man into account. And when they call him into account, they want him to deny Jesus. He says, do you want to also be his disciple? And they get angry at the man born blind. And so they say, let me see your parents. They call his parents and they want an accounting from the parents. Verse 20, his parents answered them, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but how he sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. They said, look, ask him. How old enough, he over 21. You asking us? These are the parents. Loving, doting parents. They just threw him under the bus, it appears to me. So I kind of threw him under the bus. I don't know how you take that, but it seems like they threw him under the bus. Verse 22 tells us why, though. And this is why I say they are spiritually blind. Look at 22 in your text. Look, look, look. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. See, they were afraid of being excommunicated from the synagogue and they had a greater love for the affirmation of man rather than the light that was shining in their experience. They desired praise of men rather than the praise of God. And Psalms 56 says, what can man do to me? If God be for me, who can be against me? I don't worry about what man says. He said, as long as God is on my side, as long as the Lord is on the throne, as long as he is righteous, as long as he is king, as long as he is redeemer, as long as he is transcendent and shining bright, I don't have to worry what man can do to me. The parents are spiritually blind. So I say, why? Why do you say that? It seems hard. No. Because they knew their son was blind, and only God could have performed that miracle 
Even the son affirms that fact. But the parents were still blind and they loved the world more than they loved the Lord and the light that was shining before them. Fact number two, I want you to see spiritual blindness may exist in a Christian. As believers, we have to be very careful. Now, let me tell you something. Stay with me. Just because you're saved, don't think that you have all the light that you need. There is a continual need to have the light to shine into your experience and my experience. Jesus is the light that illuminates. He is the revelator. He is the light that reminds. He is the light that convicts. He is the light that comforts. He is the light that reassures. He's the light that equips. He's the light that guides, that exposes, that reveals. He is the light that shines into all of our experience and grants us mercy and grace when we sin and give us sight when we are blind. He is the light of the world. That's who Jesus is. Oh, don't you love the fact that he's the true light? Three different individuals, equally blind. And the light is there, shining in their experience. The man born blind is going to not only receive physical sight, he receives spiritual sight. Jesus catches up with him. And he asks him, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He said, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. Ooh, look at verse 38. Y'all see this? Look, look, look. When the Lord shines his light into your life, it demands, it requires an act of worship. The Lord shined his light into the blind man experience, gave him physical sight. But then he did the internal working of giving him spiritual sight. Because the Pharisees did not receive the miracle of the man receiving his sight, they never received the internal sight that the light had tried to shine into their lives. The parents didn't receive it either, so they were still steeped in their blindness. And that's why point number two is so important. Jesus is the eternal light that heals and reveals the spiritual blindness. And if you walked in here this morning, if you're watching me via live stream, and you don't see the light, you can't comprehend how Jesus is the light. Let me tell you something. He will reveal himself to you on the internal level as well as the external level, if you allow it by faith. This man receives the light externally and internally, and his life is changed and transformed. And the reason why it is is because this man sees Jesus as the true light. So often in this world, what happens is people are following a false light. They want everything except the true light of Christ. And as a result of that, many people are misguided and many people are being led astray. And it's so tragic because if you're not seeking the true light, you can easily be misguided. I was reading a story by Kaushik Powdry, 
And in the story, it's titled The Lighthouse That Wrecked More Ships Than It Saved. In the story, it gives the account of the colonial architect Alexander Dawson in 1857. It was he and a surveyor's assistant, E.F. Milliton, who were trying to select a site for where they were going to put a lighthouse. They were looking at the peninsula in Cape St. George in South Southern Australia as a location for the lighthouse. But you have to understand something about Dawson. Dawson was really kind of indifferent to the real necessity and the use of the lighthouse. In my estimation, he really was a lazy individual. So they began to seek and find a place and they settled on Jervis Bay as a location where they were going to put the lighthouse. They went to the task. They had to draw a map of the terrain, design plans for the construction of the lighthouse, and they put all of this information together and they had to present that information to the pilot board who had the authorization to determine if the plans were sufficient, the location was appropriate, and then they had to decide if they would allow the lighthouse to be placed there. When the pilot board received all of the plans and the map, immediately three things stood out to them. First, they noticed that the site for the lighthouse was not visible for captains who were on their vessels, people operating boats. Where they wanted to place the lighthouse, ships that were approaching from various angles would not be able to see the lighthouse. The very purpose of the lighthouse is visibility so people can see the light shining so they would know before they get close miles away where the safety of the harbor is. Second, the map they did, Dawson and Millington, it didn't identify exactly the location of the lighthouse and it had all these discrepancies. So when they are approaching those in their ships and boats, sailors, because the map was not identical to the terrain, people would get lost. They wouldn't be able to understand where are the rocks, where's the underwater wreckage, where is the shoreline? How will we know when we are getting too close the shallow water so they noticed those two glaring things, but then the third thing they noticed was this. They noticed that Dawson had chose this location because it was close to the query where he was going to get the stones to build this lighthouse. The board was divided. Some were saying we should not build this here. It's not going to function in the way it should. Others say, hey, let's do it. And the chairman of the board made the decision that they were going to build the lighthouse anyway. They built it, and for the next four decades, 40 years, the ill-sighted lighthouse lured ignorant operators to the very rocks they were seeking to avoid. And countless lives were lost because the light from the lighthouse failed to expose, to reveal, and to guide the weary and worn operators to the safety of the harbor. They were following a false light from a mist 
Place Lighthouse. Let me ask you a question. What light are you following this morning? Are you following the light of the world, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the great I am, the Savior, the Messiah, the one born of the Virgin Mary? Are you following the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world? Or are you following a false light from a misplaced lighthouse? See, the world offers all types of light. The light of riches. The light of long life. The light of happiness. The light of false religion. The light of false doctrine. The light of self-help. The light of humanistic. The light of feminism. The world offers so many lights. But Jesus Christ says, I am the eternal light. I am the light that will heal all of your diseases. I am the light that will give you new life. I am the light that will renew you. I am the light that will give you new birth. He says, I am the light of the world. He said, there's no one beyond the shine, the gaze of my light. So I ask you this morning, which light are you following? Are you following the true light? Because Jesus Christ is truly the light of the world. Our impact fact for today is this, and I want you to see it. Jesus is the light of the world who provides spiritual sight that gives eternal life. My prayer, my desire to everybody here is that you will come to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Lord, we recognize there is none like you. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the light. And Lord, you shine your light into our experience. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we give you praise. And we ask it all in the mighty majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you again for watching. Have a blessed day in the Lord. And we will see you next Sunday, 9 and 11. Thank you.